I I'm pro retrofit. I think yeah, you know if it's really built, if, keep if, it you, if you're going to yeah. talk sustainability, most sustainable thing you're going to do is not building a building at all. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dad's podcast, and uh, because last podcast went so well, we decided to have the girls back on. <laughs> Sarah Liz, hello, long time no see. How are we? Does if you guys are the engineering dads, yes. does that make us the engineering mums? Well, this is something I've brought up with James before. I've Ooh. wanted to change our name to the engineering mums and dads okay. as soon as possible. The only problem is we're looking Can for we be engineering zaddies. Engineering milfs. The... <laughs> oh my god! What's the mom version of zaddies? <laughs> Sorry, before we get into the topic, what is a zaddy? Oh, it's like a daddy but hotter. Yeah. Oh wait. Like a, a little daddy. bit extra. <laughs> a little bit of extra. So it's it's a dad without the dad bod. Yeah, a bit of extra sriracha. No, no, no. My, um, a zaddy can have a dad bod. And just watch. Zaddy is a vibe. Zaddy it's a is state a... of mind. <laughs> okay, so it's not just it's not just state from a looks position. point of view. It could just be a personality. You have a sexy personality. You're a zaddy. Yeah. Mm, Jesus. Maybe what we should change our name to the engineering zads. <laughs> I, need, I, I think I need you guys on every month just to explain new colloquialisms <laughs> to me. Because this is going to come useful in my engineering do- uh, days. Like, oh, this zaddy project's coming online. Oh, Am I using it incorrectly? The, yeah. Yeah, okay. Was... Usually, again, usually I'll Sean. Need, I'll put you on a retainer it. just to, to correct me on this stuff. Like, usually Sean is the one going over like entomology and different like words. Oh, well, I look at ancient mean. history. These guys are looking at like the future. <laughs> So this is a different story. It's a perfect combination, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, uh, back to topic. Welcome back. How are we? Good, thank you. Oh, Good. Good to be back. I know it's been so It's long. almost like you never left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's almost like we filmed these right back and back to each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> no time has passed whatsoever. Oh, yeah. We pick up right where we yeah, left exactly. off. <laughs> <laughs> but today's topic, we're talking about sustainability in buildings. And this is exactly a topic that you are very focused on in. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's sort of the the realm of engineering that I fell into after I graduated. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, as we mentioned, renewable energy, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> if you listen to last week's podcast. <laughs> um, so what is sustainability in buildings? That's <laughs> a very good question. It is. It encompasses a whole lot of different things. Um, but I guess the best way to describe it is it's designing a building with a holistic point of view towards sustainability, uh, improving indoor environment, and mm. just really designing for the occupant in mind, which is really what engineering technology should yeah. all be about. You know, you're designing for, you know, human-centric design, and that's kind of the big push for sustainability. It's okay, not, let's not just build boxes concrete boxes okay. for that yeah. so it's it's end and user driven as opposed to like the broader spectrum of sustainability and user driven but also like life cycle driven so okay we're building this building but like can we look at look at the impacts of the building in terms of you know the material impacts the embodied carbon impacts the operational impacts not just you know chucking in an led oh you'll save yeah, I hated that one. It's like, oh, LED energy efficiency. Oh just God, like put LEDs. It's like, okay, yeah. great. But um. how leaky is your building? Did you know when we did that course, like the low energy buildings course, mm-hmm. it shocked me that up until like 2005, the Australian building code, you could basically have a leaky, like a shed 
an uninsulated shed and that would be a-okay under yeah. the Australian building code. And that's why like Australian buildings are internationally renowned oh, to be shit. So right? bad. Compared to I Europe, think that's Japan, the correct oh. description to just the building code in Australia. Just shocking. Oh, it is. <laughs> is how so I would good. describe it. <laughs> and I mean, uh, to be honest, I like moved out of the industry like probably six months now. Mm-hmm. And it, it still has back. a long way to go. Like they've, yeah. they did an update, I guess, just before I recently left my job as a sustainability engineer. Um, and even like the update to the building code, it's still like way behind. Like, mm. you know, you, we, we needed that 10 years ago. Like, yeah. come on. Like, but with, next, the, next with this building code, has the Australian standard just been out for a long time, but it hasn't been adhered to from the code or is it completely new from all I mean, look, technically, well, you, you do adhere to the code. You, otherwise, you can't build a non-compliant building. Course, it's yeah. more that the code is just so out of touch to yeah. what is a livable building. Like, forget the bells and whistles of a sustainable green, you know, in mm, a utopian yeah. sustainable city. Just a livable building. I want to know that my <laughs> aluminium cladding is yeah, not yeah. going to... You know, like... The building's not going to burn down. Like, in a suburb sorry, where it's build. just, you know, inherently a hotter suburb, just, you know... yeah. I don't know if you guys heard of the um, urban heat island effect, but yep. for example, Western Sydney just has such a high um, so urban heat island factor and it's just yeah. a lot hotter than other areas. And, and it doesn't need to be. But either. it's also a lot colder in, in the colder months too. Whatever temperature well, gets in there. Which is bad retaining just... heat. There's no reservoir there. Can I ask a question? Um, what are the factors that you look at for livability? Like are you like what are, what are the things that you guys assess on? Um. There's a lot of different tools and standards that kind of, I guess, try and... Quantify? Not quantify. I guess just like kind of build a standard that is a bit more uniform across building design. But I mean, because there is no... Because there is no... Like the building code, for example, doesn't look at, you know... um, Occupant comfort in a building. Right. So oh, that's, that's what I was kind of talking about. Yeah. Like, so, so, but you have you have ratings such as like Green Star Buildings. Yeah. Or you know Well, mm. which is kind of more geared towards you know wellness and you know um, in like good indoor environments and occupant wellness within like that sort of indoor experience. Um, so these standards, like they are fairly new. And they, they're the ones that kind of are driving sustainability in the building sector. And do they look at things like the temperature or is it the thickness of the walls? Yeah. Like what sort of things? So like the indoor air quality in the building, um, mm. you know, like do you utilize um, CO2 monitors to monitor like the levels of oh, okay. um, CO2 or like carbon monoxide on yeah, other indoor yeah. pollutants. Even just, you know, the paint in your walls, like, you know, the volatile organic compounds in the paint which is something I often think about because it's been such a trend where people like, you know, retrofit things and like they just like love chucking in like paint every now and again. And it's like yeah. going into like the science of, you know, paints and other finishes and coatings in our carpets and in our furnishings, like all these things emit volatile organic compounds that, you know, in one way or another impact your health as okay, an indoor so occupant. It's looking for the long-term health impacts as well. Yeah, it's looking like, at like what is the acceptable level of these, you know, VOCs. Yeah, those... dust, dust should be a big one as well, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. Like use and, HEPA filters in your house, it's you, a good idea. And it makes you design mechanical systems and ventilation systems that 
are put there to maintain a certain level that is good for you as an occupant. Mm. So I was looking at things like ventilation in a building as well. It's not just the structures. It's actually like the processes and, and all the nooks and crannies as well. That's really interesting to think about. Yeah, and not just ventilation. You know, it's it's just something that is really pushing the boundary for mechanical services to do better, for electrical services to do better, for hydraulics to do better. It's mm. how all these building services in a building, they're there. They're going to be there in every building. But how is sustainability and looking at these things holistically you know, designing for indoor comfort and like human comfort in those buildings is really pushing the boundaries on those building systems. And with this on sustainability, is it a compulsory thing with new buildings in Australia or is it more something that's being voluntarily done and people are looking to move towards? But there are even different tiers, right? Like, so the government just announced that like there's going to be a higher rating on Natas, Neighbours. Yeah, so that's true. So Neighbours and Natas sort of assess similar things but they're kind of geared towards um different types of buildings um so natas is generally for residential buildings and you know to kind of have a compliant building you gotta achieve a certain rating of natas which looks at you know thermal comfort um neighbors on the other hand you know it could assess commercial buildings shopping centers x different types of buildings and it's looking at the operational energy side of that building and not just operational but it's like you you design this building to achieve a certain standard of energy efficiency okay like you can get a design rating but when you build that building and you're in the operation in the operational part of it are you meeting that design standard that you have set yourself to achieve so you're like using less energy for air conditioning for example yeah it's, okay, so it's it would be one of the factors that you know they consider so but not just energy efficiency it could also include you know indoor environment indoor yeah. environment and as how well, well so. the building can circulate energy as well should be a big one too yeah. because like when i think of a smart you know, sustainable building i think of the materials we use and obviously concrete is very very bad for the environment to actually manufacture but as a material, it's really good in terms of storing, sorry, circulating both air and, and capturing heat and releasing heat as well. So to me, that is like almost a no-brainer that you have your aircon system. You can design that pretty much anywhere. It's just a matter of, of what materials you use. But we're moving away from concrete or probably in the next 20 to 30 years, we've done podcasts on this before. Is that something you've, you've dealt with or are seeing just a change in material? And Look, there's 100%, the well. industry is changing and it's pushing for change um very dramatically which is a good thing and i think a big part of it is because you often find the building code a bit lacking and again Mm. that is just from my experience like i am by no means a a building expert like i just worked in that field for two years but from my point of view i always felt like even if you were to build a compliant building that's not good enough in my opinion. Well, yeah. So like, I totally agree. Something I've, I've noticed is that some of these buildings, they cost a lot more to build, but the ongoing cost and total cost of a lifetime is like a marginal fraction if you had built the cheapest just above code building and just let it go. You, you but get, the developer's not going to be paying for those costs. But that's the problem. So yeah. having yeah. this more as a compulsory system where, okay, you've got to pay a little bit more for your building, but your energy cost is one quarter of what it would have been. I don't know, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. That's what we've already seen that though. I think not so much from a sustainability point of view, but like on marine marine grade buildings, and this is actually in the area that we lived in was a compulsory thing for everyone building a house. It was like an extra forty to fifty thousand dollars 
um, just to put it up to standard. So we're definitely yeah. seeing that, but now in sustainable buildings, it's going to be no different in terms of policy enforcement. Yeah. I, and I feel like it's just, it seems like a bit of a stick policy that's like, oh, you got to do this. And it's like, oh, do I have to spend this money? It's saving you money. No, it's, sav- it's not saving the money. It's not saving the developer money. It's no, saving no, 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 the no. occupants money. But if, you're, if you say, I want to build a house in a certain area and they said, you, you can't do fluorescence, mate. Nothing but LEDs. Your um, heat pump has to be seven star. You can't use instantaneous hot water. You go, fuck. This adds an extra twenty grand. It saves that person money. That's what. In that's the, the target. Yeah, Sorry, sure. but developers. And this is why I did not buy a new property. Is because I'm terrified of these developers who are just flying through, building a building, and then fucking off, and just being barely, barely livable. And then just copping all these fees and just having a much lower. Was that kind cost. of your experience? Um. I guess just to go a bit of a tangent on this one, it, mm. it it always baffled me how there's almost a tax on building a sustainable building. Like, yeah, you often find, you know, the developer that's going above and beyond to, you know, have like mm. a six star rated green star building or, you know, a platinum world rating and all these things. <laughs> and, you know, like, look at us, like doing yeah, all this, and that, which, which yeah. all not going to lie will come at a cost premium. Yeah. But that has always been something that baffled me. It's like, why do these things get at a cost premium? Like, if you look at, you know, buildings back in the day, you know, in different cultures, like, Mm. there's always been people that, you know, have built homes that are suited to their climates, to their regions, to their culture. And there's a lot to learn from, you know, older buildings in terms of, you know, the innovation, just the innovation and passive design that they use to build mm. those buildings. You know, you don't actually need a fancy air conditioning system no. to be comfortable. You just need to design it in a smart way. Yeah. And it's not it's like <laughs> it's not reinventing the wheel, actually, because no. those designs exist. Yeah. It's just for some reason we're at this point in time where... God forbid you say sustainability, sustainability uh, comes at a cost premium. But, it's, like, but uh, realistically, it's not. I mean, in terms of like getting our building code, for those listening to internationally, uh, we had a massive shit fight politically about insulation. We had this thing went, oh, if we get insulation up to a good standard, we save so much energy, we save so much money, it just makes buildings better. And it just crashed and failed. There are still politicians who shudder at the phrase pink bats. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> it's just poorly executed. But the idea was sound. Like, if it, if it had gone off correctly, I mean, that's what we say about everything that's gone bad. Um, if it had gone off correctly, that would have been a huge change. And the thing is, this is policy that's been around in the 70s and 80s or 60s in some others, like Europe countries i mean just the idea of like when i did my exchange in copenhagen right mm-hmm. um i got there in january and it was snowing it was freezing it's first time i saw snow i was like i walked into the house expecting to be freezing and it was i could go to sleep in pajamas like shorts and a t-shirt and i was like what and then on top of that because there's radiators in all the room and they use hot water mm-hmm. in the radiators and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so comfortable and then on top of that I was on a main living on a main road. And I'm like, oh fuck! All the trucks and stuff are gonna really piss me off. Like they're gonna be so loud. But because of the double glazing, like I had my window open and then I closed it, and it was it's completely a treat, isn't it? Yeah. silent. Oh my god, double glazing! The complete opposite living in Marrickville with oh a single glazed god. window. Yeah, yeah, probably made in the twenties. And you guys <laughs> weren't even on a main road. <laughs> we were. Yeah. We were. Yeah. Oh, was it? Oh. <laughs> I don't even think that glass was single glass. Like, I think it was like a sheet. It was, like a sheet. It was transparent <laughs> paper, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose, what well, this is another thing when you talk about livability in a building is the complaints, like noise, Noise, for example, is a big one. Anything that can disrupt 
not just how comfortable you are, but disruptions from the outside, the odors. And in, in, like when I say indoor environment and indoor comfort, you know, acoustics is a big part of it. Mm. Yeah, you know, sure. It's not, we can talk it's about your safe, HVAC your and air conditioning haven. all day, but, you know, acoustics is a big part of it. Even lighting as well, you know, like in an office, you know, being able to control your own light to a level that is suited to you or the task that you're working on, you know, it's very different if you are, you know, say you're in a control room and, you know, you have a lot of screens and monitors, you know, that's a different mm. kind of lighting requirement to if you're in a classroom or, mm. yeah. So different activities will require different lighting levels. And it's like, it really gets sort of nuanced in that sense where indoor environment and indoor comfort, a lot of layers to it. You could talk yeah. about acoustics all day. We could talk about lighting all day. We could talk about like ventilation all day, but it's, at the end of the day, it's really that holistic package of all those things combined that will make that, you know, the people space using comfortable. Building, yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing is, we've been talking about sustainable buildings and, and I get it's a great topic to talk about, but what we've been discussing seems more like efficiency and comfort. How do you make that sustainable? So you're talking about double glazing, more materials required, it's more expensive, more efficient air conditioning, which is, you know, probably going to use higher powered pumps. How... I'm, I'm struggling to understand the link back to sustainability here. I'm seeing efficiency and I'm seeing comfort. Have you, have you heard of a, what a passive house is or passive house oh, design? Passive no. houses. So it's, you alluded it to it before and I'm probably going to butcher this, but like the idea is to design a building that is at one with its environment, right? And that can use as little energy as possible to keep thermally comfortable and, and all of the good things that we were talking about right so yeah. for example something as simple as like in the southern hemisphere orientating most of your windows north so yeah, sure, 100%. Yeah. so you in winter when the sun's lower in the sky the sun shines into the house you get a lot more light and warmth from the sun yeah. and then in summer it's higher up you're not getting as much on the east and western side of the walls in the morning and afternoon and so you're cooling the house down yeah. or having eaves that go extend beyond the house at a certain angle so you don't get that direct sunlight in summer and that requires like not so much modeling but an understanding of oh, modeling yeah, yeah. so, yeah. so, yeah. so yeah. I, I guess modeling is we- the right word yeah i guess a, a lot of modeling of how the environment you live in has been performing in the past seven or so years and saying, right, I know the exact factors I now need to design future homes around. So I, you never hear much of that getting taken into account I mean, or, as me it. as an average yeah. Joe. Right. Like if you go to a Brisbane or whatever, the classic Queenslander house is on stilts so that there's air going underneath it. They've got huge ease in a veranda so that there's no direct sunlight on the windows. And then you go to like Hobart or Tasmania and the houses there are going to be built differently because they've got a completely different climate and mm. like, yeah. you know. like so, so what happened to the houses that were built on floodplains then? They got absolutely destroyed. Mm. That's a failure of government And that's policy. not really yeah. true. passive allow. house design. Yeah, this yeah. isn't yeah. really going off topic, but still considering environment and, and yeah. factors around I it. I mean, that would... That, that I think the whole issue thing. is like not considering environment in yeah. all of those policies. Like were, that is, it's, for them, it's financially driven. It's cheaper to build here because no one else is building here. Let's build in a floodplain. Boom, two 100-year floods in a row. Or yeah. even as simple as like, you know, all the new developments coming out um, don't leave... If you look at the plot of land, they're quite small and they mm. build the house all the way up to the edges so you can't have eaves. Yeah. You can't cover your windows, right? So 
the other thing as well, you can't plant trees outside your window in your front yard, your backyard. There's no space for vegetation. So think the roofs that, baby. The, <laughs> the roofing the roofing that they've got is all like black, um, yeah. which attracts sun instead of, you know, you know, repelling it or what's it, reflecting it, like yeah. white roofs. <laughs> get got there get away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like really simple things like that are not being considered in all these new builds. And there's hundreds of thousands of them being built like that. It's like mm. quite scary. And like, unless, unless it's a de- developer who's, you know, trying to achieve a green star rating, like those are things that are in a green star standard. Like those are things that make you consider, you know, the color of your roof. You know, you mm. ideally want a light co- colored roof. So you're not like retaining heat by having, you know, a, a dark surface or a flat surface. Like it's, it just taking a lot of these different elements in design and like taking it to that next step of kind of roping it into that holistic design rather than just like building the building that has walls root like yeah it hits, it's, just it's ticks a the minimum number of that. boxes to go ahead yeah uh, and okay like insulation double glazing like all these things matter depending on where you're building you know like are you building in brisbane are you building in like all these things need to kind of speak to each other but when you have a building code that is not kind of going hand in hand with a, a green star standard for example because it's not it's it's an optional thing, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's voluntary. not, yeah, it's voluntary, you know, developers don't have to go for a green star rating or really they're not incentivized necessarily to design for mm. a green star standard. So unless you kind of from like a policy driven, I guess, you know, actionable to make those things go hand in hand, I think we're still going to have buildings that are built that are just not just good shit. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a very fascinating, um, fascinating field of work because i think as all being sydney siders we see a lot of flaws in current buildings like you look oh, at so concrete cancer for example it's just like well why didn't the building code call for your building to be corrosion resistant at the time and the question is what can be done now in terms of things like corrosion resistance oh, and um, retrofits are so much more expensive than building it in the first yeah, place so this, this is my big issue and this is why i'm saying it's, it's fascinating is because it's not like like what's the better solution do you knock down the building and start from scratch again or do you is is it cheaper to as Sean alluded to, a retrofit. That's crazy. Yeah, to think no, about. that's a good point. I mean, it's always kind of been the debate of, you know, knock down, build again or retrofit. And I, I'm i pro retrofit. I think, yeah, you know, if it's already built, if, keep if it you, there. If you're going to talk yeah. sustainability, most sustainable thing you're going to do is not building a building at all. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stop building new developments yeah. if you don't need them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like the sustainable option is like don't do more than what you, you need. need. It's yeah. you just need to meet the need of your life. And you know if there are enough buildings, and let's all make them up to the good standard that people need. And that's the most sustainable thing you're gonna do. Yeah. Now the issue is, obviously, you know it's all great to like look at a standard and like pick and choose from a catalog. Oh, I'll just go for this because it's mm-hmm. you know a better rating than another thing. But you know it's again looping into that holistic i guess overview of a building is like okay well over the whole life cycle of a building if i'm going to look at the impacts of you know retrofitting versus demolishing the building and building it again are you going to utilize the resources of that building that you demolished 
Mm. If there is the option for you to do that, like that's great. Like that's rather than it just being waste you have to dispose of over time. Yeah. And yeah. so like something that uh, we kind of learned in in that course of solar uh, low energy buildings was how much of the emissions and just in just in, as one metric emissions of a building happen just during construction phase. Do you guys remember how much it was? No. It's about 40% of a lifetime's building's emissions, both including energy usage and everything. 40% is built is is made just during the construction phase. What about the procurement phase when you're procuring th- things like cement? Yeah, so that all that's that section to build yeah. that building before anyone's moved in, 40% of the emissions is there. The, okay. in, the next 60% is over like the next 40 years of use. So that two years of building makes up a massive majority. So if you oh, can okay. retrofit, so it's better because you don't you're avoiding that initial new construction cost. When you're, so the, when you're looking at like the life cycle of the building, right? I mean, you're starting to look at it from when you're sourcing the raw materials of the materials you're going to use for that building up sure. until the end of its life, you know, at whatever, full, however many years it's cycle. for, you know, and up until you demolish it, where are these impacts lying? Is it from the extracting the raw materials? Is it from, you know, transport of these materials to the construction site? Is it really the construction? Is it the operational? Is yeah. it the, you know... The demolition of it, it at the end of its life. So you're is really it gas trying favored, to solar favored, yeah. So you're really kind of putting yourself in a position that, okay, you're looking at all this data and you're really trying to like, you know, optimize on where the biggest impacts lie. And for the longest time, you know, people had such a big focus on operational energy because it, it, it did have a big impact. Yeah. It had a very like high carbon footprint just by virtue of the grid being very, you know coal heavy carbon intensive yeah. but you know as we move towards you know a greener grid and you know more renewables into that grid mm-hmm. if you look at operational like okay well you'll you'll naturally see those impacts like decreasing in importance hmm. it's not going to be negligible no. it's there but then you start to look at okay how about all that embodied carbon in all the materials i actually use to build the building not just me operating that building because you can have high efficiency systems there's no one denying that you know, you can you can design for a seven-star Nathos or a seven-star Neighbors and all those things, and can you can you can use high-end technologies for systems and all that. But what about the materials that you're actually using? Okay, the, yeah. The concrete. What's in your concrete? Mate? Could you think of innovative ways to kind of lessen the carbon footprint? Of I'll keep growing concrete, baby. Well, sorry, we <laughs> so James and I had a big podcast about different types of concrete. So I was um, back when I worked for a solar manufacturer. We worked in a building from a a hemp creek conglomerate out of russia built this massive building in um like a 10 story no 10 bedroom vista in queensland um completely out of hemp creek it was the first one of its kind had a massive solar system that we helped install hemp creek hemp creek so it's concrete made out of hemp and it was more of a proof of concept this thing goes for about twenty five thousand dollars a week for rent like whoa Spicy. No, 45. Sorry, 45. It was my annual salary back in the day. <laughs> oh, that's how I remember it. Yeah, it's $45,000 a year to rent out. And that was actually probably a question that I was going to ask because I know James is keen on Algae, algae Creek. Uh, <laughs> algae Creek? Oh, that's interesting. And, and yeah. no, it's still, so it's still concrete. Basically, some professor, to sum up that podcast, he went, I think, scuba diving or snorkeling in, I believe, Thailand or somewhere. And he saw um, the calcium carbonate, so the coral, which is like, hang on a minute, we produce concrete using calcium carbonate. Coral is literally calcium carbonate. 
is there a way I can make coral but do it heaps quicker rather than... Yeah, sorry, to clarify, we're not harvesting the reefs to build yeah. buildings here. He, <laughs> he goes, sorry, can I, can you... making new reefs to then harvest Honestly, those knowing reefs. Australia's track record with <laughs> oh, reefs, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would uh, yeah. be quite like yeah. be, They've so, already considered it. Probably. Like, 99% of Australians uh, love the reefs. The 1% of Australians that do all the things because we fucking hate reefs and just <laughs> dig them up. Yeah. So pretty much like this guy saw the... Like the coral and was like, I can do this using algae. And he pretty much made his own coral harvesting an algae species known as coccolithophores or something along that line. So it pretty much uses the exact same limestone process, but there's carbon sequestration because it's from plant and organic matter. And as we know, if it's from plant matter, it can be reabsorbed back into the atmosphere. Um, they're just doing it on lab scales at the moment. But yeah. even with hempcrete, they found that's got better thermal insulation. This is why I touched on building materials earlier and using concrete it's it's great once it's in it's just the process of getting it to the building site is the very like high mm. carbon sort of uh footprint i guess something you can't talk about retrofitting though is car parks and that's a big one we with uh, sean said we're doing a podcast on smart buildings the only really article i've ever read on building unsustainability is how car parks are built i've heard they trap the most amount of heat it's a massive thermal mass and I think uh, uh, everyone's had that experience of like walking out of the shopping centre into the car park (laughs) and just like dying yeah I think Sarah made a good point in her previous podcast if you want to listen to last week's one was if you're in the city you shouldn't need a car there should be enough public transport and walking ability to to avoid cars in there I mean Australia is not like focused around that totally agree we are very much um, like individual private car focused in terms of our city building even just how sprawling it is yeah it's not okay it's not right so i think like most yeah. car parks i go in the ventilation's only good enough to ensure just that so carbon you can monoc- yeah so that carbon monoxide doesn't <laughs> infiltrate the, the area minimum <laughs> but it never actually like ensures fresh air like the ventilation never pushes fresh air into the building and i think sean like i always go back to your hydroponics video if you have 20 watts of heat coming through light eventually that's going to be heat through the building similar with cars if you've got all that energy coming from your engine that's going to heat the whole building up and that in itself is a massive impact on the whole climate crisis when you consider it from a from infrastructure point of view not sure if that's anything you've you've touched on in your field of work is car parks and knocking down car parks and building them back up it's I guess, I mean, not specific car parks. I mean, it, it probably is a point of topic for someone working in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> Some dude's like, ah, oh, they're talking about me. Fuck yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of new technologies and innovations that, you know, are available. Um, don't know about the percentage of how many are implemented, but, you know, it makes them more sustainable in the sense that you know you don't they don't retain heat as much you're lessening that carbon footprint as well um you know can you can you integrate pv into the facade as well that's Mm. something we looked at at our course Mm. though i still have yet to see an application of it that actually works (laughs) Um, not in australia at least but even integrating you know plants in a facade and you know just the the, the cooling But you know, it makes it look nicer effects. too. No, no, no. But like just having green a bit walls of... and green yes. roofs, you know, yeah, like yeah. that's that's a very big push for it. Now, just put green, some green walls. It screams fire issues to me. But <laughs> you know, it's, the the conversation is there. Yeah. The research is is always happening, and there's always going to be innovations in the space. It's more about who is pushing for those innovations to get implemented. You know, mm. it's often always very. 
um, private sector driven. Yeah. Um, like if you look at Atlassian, the Atlassian building, you know, oh it's going to be like... <laughs> it's going to be sick. It's yeah. going to be really awesome. You know, like there's nothing that they didn't try and push the envelope for in terms yeah. of, you know, they didn't want a concrete building. They want like a... Like most, like the EY building, the art, like the actual building itself looks amazing and highly reflective. No, highly reflective is bad. <laughs> Hold on. So our professor was like fucking reflective buildings. What's this glass shading insulation? <laughs> like he was so upset about glass. He would go around the city and he's like, bad building, bad building. That's a bad building. <laughs> hey, shading. Good to see you. Very refreshing. Bad building. Glass buildings suck. I So I, I kind of walk past the EY building sometimes. I'm like, that could use a bit more shading. The shading only goes up to like the 10th floor. It's like a 60-story building. You want it to, I thought you'd want the building not to absorb much heat. Though. Like you want it to reflect. No, so you want the shading on the outside. So the shading hits, the, the light hits the shading and dissipates on the outside of the building. If you have glass, the only insulation that's there is because wind's coming past it and pulling that heat away. If the oh. wind stops, light goes straight through through the glass and your building heats up. So it either gets reflected or goes into the actual mm. building foundation. If, if, it's, if, it's if it's just plain glass buildings, usually the heat goes straight into the building. If it's not so Even if it is reflective, it's still... It's still bad. Like the amount of light it's still yeah. letting in is... You, Look, to, like a comparison is the EY building and then the Barangaroo Towers. Those the level of shading Barangaroo Towers, mwah, much better. Okay. There's always, to be honest, like with every building design, when you are looking at you know designing the building envelope and the facade of the building versus you know how you can optimize you know the systems you're going to implement in that building. There's always going to be a trade-off, right? Yeah. Like, you know. You can't blacklist, so to, you know you can't blacklist an architect being like you're mm. never gonna design all glass no. buildings. You're never gonna design concrete. <laughs> you're not gonna blacklist anything. Okay, yeah. these buildings exist and they're probably gonna continue to exist. You know, I mean, I have my opinions on architects. They probably have their opinions on sustainability. <laughs> <engineers>. <laughs> yeah, I'd like sure to think. Two, I'd love to see like a bar crawl with like the two groups and they just come together. It's like, oh no. Just I'd like to fight. think we're massive Batman ball. and Robin, but we're probably not. <laughs> You watch <laughs> Batman and Joker. <laughs> um, there's always going to be a trade-off. It's more just, you know, giving importance to, you know, sustainability when it comes to designing your facade, designing mm -hmm. your building envelope, designing your services systems, and not just bringing on sustainability as an add-on to a project because that mm. defeats the whole purpose. And so, like, in terms of policy, we, we say carrot and stick a lot. For those who don't understand the metaphor, carrot and stick, imagine that um, you want a donkey to go in a certain direction. You can either do it by giving that donkey a carrot in front of it so it leads it away, incentivizing it to go that way, or with a stick, you whack the donkey in the right direction. So just for just to explain the metaphor to those people. So, Anlis, in terms of the best way to go forward, do you reckon it's more of a carrot or a stick policy? Oh, I think it's... TikTok. I'm going to put a TikTok sound effect there. <laughs> Sorry. I think it's a bit of both. I think, yeah, I think... I think it's a bit of both. It's like, here's I, the carrot, but here's a bit and, of a stick and at I, the same And I time. think, yeah, and I think it just needs to be, again, I guess, you know, relating back to our podcast last week, like, not really isolating different elements and talking about those things, you mm. know? Electric vehicles, okay, that speaks into infrastructure and how we build. Like, mm. are we fitting those new buildings with the appropriate infrastructure for electrical vehicles? Okay, this also speaks to, you know, the energy sector. Like, it's just all such a big conversation. And I feel like unless we kind of start extending those conversations and, you know, at 
in a way, a lot of it should be driven at a policy level. Mm. Like there is no shortage of people passionate about making the right thing. There's no shortage of people in sustainability and in the built environment that are pushing for the right things and, you know, are pushing the envelope and the, the, some of the answers are there. It's not, again, it's really not about reinventing the wheel. It's about just bridging those conversations across all these different sectors and just, yeah. again, trying to draw a picture that is achievable and not having blocked by policies that are very out of tune with reality. Yeah, I, I, I think I totally agree because you're right. There are so many like people who are pioneering this field already and we look at them like they're gods, but they're realistically just people. Like we could, we, other people should be doing what they're doing. They shouldn't be considered like out of normal, or abnormal for what they're pushing. That should just be, oh, that's that's better than slightly better than normal. Well done. <laughs> Not just, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. Okay, yeah. so there's something I wanted to talk about this whole entire podcast, and we did this in, the, <laughs> oh. in we did we did this in um this in, is a real popular topic. Yeah, we, we did this in Sarah's podcast. We did speculation at the end, but this is a bit more of a fun topic. Have you heard of 3D printed houses and buildings? And if so, what do you think of them? I have not heard of that. What? Oh, actually, one of our mates but, is like doing... I am intrigued. So um, yeah. tell me more. I, one of our mates, uh, one of our mates, uh, a bloke that went to India with us. He was working in this field, by the way. Um, you can guess who it is. Yeah, you know who it is. I won't say their name just to protect. I am not. I'm oh, like okay. waiting for you. To okay. Tell me the the point being is they were working on the idea of a 3D printer that you can drop on site and it'll print concrete in a certain way. So it'll do a double double layer of concrete. And you put little like layers between it, little blocks to support, and then you slide insulation in between the two concrete slabs. And so yeah, it'll, it'll cut out the door frames, the window frames. You put it, you install it as you go, and so you have the electricians, you have the like carpenters all there. And as they print, they're like installing shit as the thing's printed, and it can cut down the construction of a, of a house to like three days, because you just shove the wiring in as it prints around it's, it's yeah it's used like some use bio soils where they actually get like soil with other composites of it to make it structurally sound and for those who've never 3d printed sean and i have very keen 3d printers um it's like a filament so like it, you melt plastic and it, it sets onto a bed with the house analogy it actually takes soil conglomerates the soil together makes it structurally sound it's on like driven by like a couple of motors massive motors it set the soil like a down crane and a really build, size crane. yeah pretty much and it like sets on top of each other so that that to me is a solution to smart cities and sustainable building because one you don't need all that workforce labor and two it's just much more environmentally friendly because you're using recyclable literally recycled materials to build a house or you're looking at projects in like netherlands and whatnot and yeah it's so much cheaper to yeah. do and so much quicker as well it's just a matter of how structurally sound can you get it and plus there's no like itp or construction test plan to prove it to be safe yet we're heading in that direction though mm. yeah no yeah as soon as you started kind of explaining the work of that that friend i think it was his thesis that he worked on that, Is that, that makes sense, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah i think there's definitely a lot of research being pushed into that field and yeah. you know it's to the interest of probably a lot of construction companies to mm. innovate in that space as well so it'll be interesting to see how much uptake of that um of the 3D printing you'll actually see in construction. I think yeah. it's definitely something very interesting. But, I mean, to be honest, I do not have a lot of information <laughs> well, it's, about it's it. it's very to... innovative technology. But, so, it's, yeah. it's a speculative Has it been on an episodes of Grand Designs yet? Oh, I can't say <laughs> I that's the that's the only, that's <laughs> the only qualifying factor if it's on, <laughs> it's on Grand Designs. 
Jesus. I, I mean, love that, that I love show. that show. It's so good. <laughs> I like put it in the background and I'm like, we all like book. the sentiment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing about that show is like start off being like, yep, we're going to finish in a year and it'll be a million dollars. And then by the end, the man's like, I'm divorced. <laughs> four years later, I am $40 million over budget. Yeah. I, he's always like, I always had a dream of owning a lighthouse and I have $35,000. I watched like, that what? episode. Oh, yeah. They built the lighthouse house. It was so cool. <laughs> I didn't finish that one, so... Uh, <laughs> okay, Did spoilers. Did it have a good ending? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Let's I can't look. exactly remember if there were any, like, marital fights in the episode. Yeah, building a house, there's got to be a few. There's fights going to Ikea, let's be honest. No. But I just, yeah, I think every time I watch an episode, I turn to my partner being like, I want a lighthouse house. <laughs> I want a boat-shaped house. I just, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember seeing one where they said we wanted to build a rocket ship for the kids and they just built a straight up little rocket ship that you could sleep in. So it had like bunk beds and a control module and like a sentry tower on the top. It was super cute. It was like, how much over budget? Oh, well, over budget, like a double. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. oh, super cute. Anyways, I think we might wrap it up on there. Any final questions or thoughts? No, I'm very, very content with the information I've presented with today. Thank you very much, Anne. <laughs> yeah, we want to say a massive thank you both to Sarah and Anne to joining us on both our podcasts, especially since they're a week apart. They're coming back in a second time. Really appreciate it. <laughs> and always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Patty, we'll, we'll be back. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. To see more Engineering Dads content like this, head to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I'll link below to see our other projects. Have a good one.